It's Thursday, November 25th, 2021. And today we'll be talking about five major trends that we are seeing in the Canadian tech ecosystem across funding, talent, Web3, fintech, and COVID reopening. Let's get started. First, we're going to be talking about what's trending in funding, Alex. Hey, Jason. So what, where do you want me to start? I'm thinking about what you're seeing in the funding landscape uh, and if you're seeing any difference between raises that are happening today versus what you've seen in the past. So let's start with some context. Everyone's talking about how this year there's so much funding. It's a crazy amount of volumes. But everything is very surface-level analysis, and that's one reason we do quick takes, to take it apart and explain what's going on. But as we get end of the year and I was starting to look at trends, I said, let's look at what's really going on here. And so there's two things going on, and they're both relate the same thing. The funding is great, but it's going, what I say, flight to quality. So do you, you, know, you want me to explain what I mean by that? Yeah, that sounds pretty coded. What does flight to so, quality mean? So people are willing to write checks and give crazy valuations, but to who they perceive are the best companies. We've talked a bit about momentum investing. That's a bit like that. And so if you look at it, it looks like the best financing time ever to go, go raise, but it's a subset of companies that are perceived to be better than others that are raising extremely easy and everyone else is taking a long time to raise. So I'll give so you an example. So let's unpack that. Yeah, thank you. So let's, let's um, and there's, it's, there's two things that happen. One is companies that have a lot of momentum, have a founder in a great space, uh, sorry, have a great founder in a great space, are raising large rounds quickly. So let's go back to a few examples over the last little while. Float. Raised thirty million dollars. You know, if you figure out the metrics, it's probably their valuations way higher than metrics, but they're growing quickly. You have Rob Kazam, you have Brexit rampant estates, so people understand that. Do um, you have companies that are later stage that have proven out their model and are getting fuel to fire, like Clearco, that can go raise or are fair that can basically raise any time they put their hand up. I, I, you know, I think if you talk to Marcello and said you just closed what was it four hundred million dollars a week ago. If you said you want to go raise another half a billion, he could probably go do it because the model's working. It's a huge market. It's scaled. Um, they've proven they can execute. So let's talk so, about the other side, Alex. Who's so not me. raising in so this let, market then? Let me finish. Though, the, sorry, one more thing about this. So you get these companies that have an easy raise, but they're also getting the bulk of the money because they're raising disproportionate amount when they raise. A $30 million Series A in Canada is the exception, not the rule. Now, so who's having trouble raising is... The founders that have taken time to build a quality company and are just showing that hockey stick curve, but aren't that famous. They aren't in the hot area. So maybe, you know, like, uh, let, let me pick them. I'm, I'm just trying to think of a current raise, but it, it's hard. You don't even think of them right now. But it's, it's like when you see that A round, it's $5 million. I bet you that person took six months to raise and her company may be great. But, you know, she took time getting real product market fit, understanding the customer development. She graduated from University of Windsor. Nothing wrong with University of Windsor, but it's not University of Waterloo and never worked at a big tech company. So when when investors look at her, she's like, okay, it looks like it's working, but I, I there's there was no momentum until two months ago. I don't know who she is. I don't, you know, don't know, I don't know. She's uh doing something in the parking market, like you know, finding parking spots. So she can raise, but it takes six months versus a few weeks. And it's a three million raise instead of a 30 million raise. And you know, we don't talk a lot about those because they're not exciting, but they're happening. But they're happening slower than they have traditionally for a bit more money than traditionally because everything's up in valuation. Got it. So 
we're seeing really a tale of two types of founders, some that are raising really easily and bigger than ever, and others that are taking longer and it's still a hard road, just like it's always been. Just like it's always been. Like the stories of a quick high valuation raise is the exceptions. It's a more, and the problems now, those exceptions are getting a lot more money, a lot quicker. So it seems like it's easier, but if anything, it's harder than normal. Um, and one reason I don't want to mention names, I don't want anyone to feel that I'm, I'm not saying they're a great company because they are great companies, but people, I don't want any founder to call me up after like, uh, they'll call you up else. after anyways, Alex, I always, give if you, you think I'm talking about you, I'm not, I'm talking about someone else. <laughs> okay. Now let's talk about, um, the end of the, of the private journey of funding, which is going public IPOs and SPACs. We've been talking about a heck of a lot of these over the, the past little while here in Canada. What is going on? Well, I, I think you've got two different markets in Canada, the U.S., and you've got IPOs versus SPACs. And I think when you start seeing companies go public again, in all three situations, in all three scenarios, they were all doing well. They were all perceived well because there was such a demand for tech companies, and companies hadn't really not gone public in any volume for like 10, 12 years. And so I, I think the first one that sort of, you know, you had a few private lists, you know, uh, what's called uh, direct listings in the States. Mm -hmm. Those went really well. Then SPACs are becoming popular. And I think the first few SPACs when there was less competition out there were high, perceived as high quality, good things to invest in. And now you're seeing a selection bias in companies that go public via SPAC, either highly speculative, like, hey, you know, let's, let's take a jet, you know, a uh, uh, taxi jet or ta helicopter taxi. Or companies that are not perceived that they could not go public via the normal route, like so, like mansplaining. I don't know if you know about that one. No, not mansplaining. No. Um, man, what's it called? It's one that it's focused. That, that would be on, an unfortunate name for no, no, a tech company. No, I think it, it should be. It should be called mansplaining because <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a man beauty kit aimed at down there. Um, okay. So you look at the metrics; they have good growth, but looks like you know, slight decent gross margin, but. Doesn't look like a great company. Doesn't, I don't think they go through the normal public growth. So they're starting to right. see harder gets back deals done, and they're getting viewed more skeptical. There's lots of broken SPACs, which means it's announced and they don't get the funding. Then right. you look at the IPO market in Canada, and the states. I think the so what's going through the normal IPO market in the states is considered high quality companies that are generally doing really well. That's let's you know being you know because their alternative would be go to SPAC. And then mm -hmm. in Canada. We've had a lot of companies go public because we've had, it's been ages and we have a lot of great companies go you know, go public recently, but it seems that it's not like the market. The market's being a bit more careful which ones they increase in value or which they're lukewarm entrance. Like Covio went in public this week. I think it's just had a tremendous reception. The founders had three public companies before. They have great numbers. Um, you know, Thinkific was another successful ones, but there's been quite a few that have come out and sort of stay at the same price, which is not what you expect for an IPO. And and so you can see it's interesting. SPACs, one market, US IPOs, another perception, and Canadian IPOs, a different perception. Okay, now let's talk about uh, the middle of funding and those exits, which are accelerators, more yeah. or less. <sighs> many new ones. We've, we've talked about them. You know, As a founder, you have access to many more than you've had in the past, right? So if you go back a few years ago, Mm -hmm. It was news when Techstars entered the market. They came in with Techstars um, in Montreal. They had Techstars in Toronto. They had the the Prop Tech Accelerate Techstars. Then you had like Accelerate, which is now changed to the Forum. But it's it's it's, 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 it's accelerators have accelerated in the last uh, 18, 24 months. I knew there's it was EF, coming. I there's EF. Coming. There's Antler. Yeah. There is. Um, then there's ones that are global, like YCs is being keeps on expanding its class. You have oh, uh, what's it called? Uh, on deck. 
Mm-hmm. And so like there's more choices than ever. And and you know, the question is which of them actually have a reason to exist? And I think you're gonna find ones that have very specific niche cases. Like look, mm-hmm. EF and Antler, they're saying, hey, you know, we have talent, you don't have a founder, we're gonna put you through a program that's extended founder dating and set you up for success. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We don't need, you know, we had none of them two years ago. We're gonna have two in January. And maybe, you know, so that's a hundred like that's 200, 300 people in Canada. That's probably the right amount. But like and again, I, I get paying like once a week about another accelerator opening up in this country somewhere. You know, do we need all so these? So why do they exist? The, I see there's some that have a clear niche. What about the ones that don't have a clear niche? What what role are they What role are so, they so, filling? Where's so the money lo- coming lo- from? Why are they doing it? Many different reasons. Um, there's a lot of corporates that think we need to have a program out there because it'll help our innovation. It'll help us be more innovative and build an ecosystem around us. There is government saying, hey, we need a get more innovation ecosystem here. So, and like, oh, let's go partner with the university. Let's, let's do something. So like, if you were to look up the number of accelerators that, ex- that didn't exist 20, you know, pre COVID or just let's say 36 months ago and that exists across this country, mm-hmm. there's a lot that are trying to solve some ulterior motive and pro- fix a broken economy by saying, we're going to create innovation. And, and are these so, any good for the founders? Look, any depends where the founders are from. I think, I think a lot of them, I think a lot of them are at best neutral. Okay. So if you're a founder out there and you're interested in the accelerator route and you're trying to figure out the landscape, the new ones, the old ones, ones with track records, what their niches are, uh, how do you get started? How do you figure it out? Well, I think the first thing is you're, you're saying, Hey, I want to start a company or I have started a company. So like you can even start where you are in the journey. There's ones that are pre-starting a company. Mm-hmm. There's ones that are. Um, post starting company, and then you have to figure out what help do I need? What am I trying to get out of this? Am I trying to get branding? Am I trying to get a network? Am I trying to get access to talent? Am I, you know, and then you try to find the ones that suit your need, opposed to looking all of them out there and choosing one. Because I think most people say, oh, there's 10 accelerators in my hometown. Like, you know, there's like in Vancouver, SFU has one. I'm sure UBC has one. There's CDL, right? You should, before you start looking at what's out there, you should say, to accelerate my or increase my chance of success, what do I need? And then you should then do a search based on that. And then you should go verify with people who have gone through that program that you actually get that. Because lots of lots of VCs, lots of investors will promise you stuff. And yeah, but there's deliver. no one place to go to check all this yeah, stuff but, out. So so go look at the portfolios of companies on there and reach out to the founders. And That's I, a good I think one. The, and I think the other thing you have to do is what is the cost of doing this? How much better off am I? Mm-hmm. So you are explicitly, you're explicitly, at least you're paying with time. Some don't take any uh, any um, ownership, but you are paying with something and you have to go, what is my cost of doing this? And am I better off or worse off? And you'll never know, but you have to make an educated guest. Okay, now once you've got funding, uh, whether it's been easy or hard for you, whether it's been IPO or SPAC, whether it comes to the accelerator, you got to spend it somewhere and they spend it on people. So I'd love to talk about what the market for talent is looking like right now for Canadian tech companies. So I was at the dinner last night, um, talking to a few founders. And one founder told me she had relatively junior machine learning uh, engineer quit. She asked, where are you going? He goes, I'm taking four months off to travel. And I know when I get back, I'll have 10 offers. That exemplifies this market. And it's, it's, engineers, 
it's data scientists, it's BDMs, it's salespeople. It's basically anyone you need to build a startup that if you want high, someone that has high learning capacity and good experience, it is, it is an, it's not a knife fight, it's a gunfight. And that's a junior engineer. So yeah. you even say good experience. Uh, that's pretty early. And when that person comes back from their four months uh, traveling for their 10 offers, is it the same salary? Is it lower? Is so it higher? I, I, again, salaries, salaries if, if are, are going to what they are in the Valley at the least. And, and, and what I've seen is a lot of startups are giving raises off cycle because they're worried about getting poached and they figured we're better off to give it three months early, four months early and give a raise and the raise mm -hmm. are substantial. Um, and this goes back to what's happening here. Those, those high quality startups are raising tons of money. It has to go somewhere. They don't want to lose. They now have to go make their growth, growth targets and right. they need talent and they have, they'll pay 30% above market rate. And so that forces everywhere to go up. So it's the valuations are pushing salaries up. Um, and a lack of, you know, lack of talent, uh, just generally is pushing salaries up. So depending on what you're doing, I, I, my guess is salaries can be up 20 to 40% for engineers. Wow. That is a huge number and makes a huge difference on, uh, your burn rate when you went to raise, that's for sure. Now, one of the big, uh, ways that people build their employer brands at the early stage is by announcing those big fundraisers. How's that working as a strategy for attracting talent so today? Let's go back to announcing rounds. It, it's, it's, if you go back 18 to 24 months, especially early stage, most people did not announce rounds anymore. There was viewed as no benefit. It was only inviting competition because they viewed money was so loose. Um, now you're seeing people announce rounds quicker. And I think some rounds are being done just to announce them. And the idea here is how do we entice talent to come here? Talent who has choices everywhere, you know, it's, it's usually more than money. So there's two things you can do. Show you have a very strong mission that, you know, like, so for example, there's a company called Vivid Machines I'm familiar with. They're doing uh, visual machine learning for the ag tech ecosystem or for, for ag tech. So for like visual, like for produce. And mm -hmm. it's interesting. They're just out of the, all the talent that comes inbound to them. It's visual machine learning, passionate about produce. So that like they're going coming there for the mission to challenge. And yeah. if you, if you are somewhere, let's say, We'll talk about fintech later, which is a lot of options. Mm -hmm. Then the other way to validate and track talent is get outside validation by announcing a large round, which implies you have momentum. And also, uh, you know, like, like any Tiger Global round, there's the, it, they're being announced because, hey, look at all the money we raised. We can hire you. We can pay you. And it, it also implies that Tiger invests in fa uh, fast growth companies. Mm -hmm. let's, let's do it. I, I'm sure in crypto, A16Z has that certain badge of honor or Sequoia traditionally has that. So... These rounds are now being announced when they normally wouldn't because it's a way to scream the talent. We're fast growing. Look at our backers. This is a safe bet for you to go make money off your equity and get paid well. Yeah, the FMV of your equity is already high. So work harder to make it higher. <laughs> well, that, well, that's also goes. So I think lots of people are going, and again, this is more maybe American than Canada because I don't know what the tax implications are here, but mm -hmm. people are going from paying options to doing RSUs. Now that's a big trend as well you're seeing? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And just so and people don't know the, what that RSUs are, yeah. restricted shares. So basically, if you get an option, traditionally get options that says, okay, the company has to go up in value for you to make money. And RSUs are saying, we'll give you a share. So even if it goes down in value, you're, you're making money. Now, now the trade-off is it's the same economic value, hypothetically, but they'll, mm -hmm. so they'll give you a lot less RSUs than they'll give you options. 
Right. And I think also uh, when you exercise your option, you've got to pay tax on the unreal. I mean, really the unrealized capital gains if you haven't sold it yet. Or yeah. RSUs, I don't think you have to do that again until you actually sell it. This is not tax it. advice or financial yeah. advice. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about one more thing in talent, which is uh, back to office or staying remote and distributed. What are you seeing happening here? The demand from talent and the expectations from companies here in Canada. So it was interesting. Uh, again, I've had a couple of founder dinners over the last couple of days. I, I actually asked, how many people are fully distributed? And everyone said, we're trying to do it, but it's not working. Mm. And it goes to, I think the war for talent, usually the easiest way to attract people is for, to be known. So I think the companies that are doing distributed are being, are, that are really doing it are ones that were born distributed and or ones that realize they have a very specific hiring case and that talent is not evenly distributed around the world. So they'll go where that talent is. So they're forced, they're either were born that way and have, the, have done it right. And or the ones that are forced to because the talent's not locally. What what everyone else is telling me is like, hey, we we want it. We're open to being distributed. We're not. We're, but everyone's in Toronto, even though we don't go to the office. And it, it, I think it's because, hey, if you are let's let's pick an A round company. If you rescue, you know, does anyone in San Francisco or New York know who you are right now? Maybe not. Maybe. But like, but if you're in Toronto, where KJ's known, where the company's known, you have a lot more brand equity, and it's easier for that person to look at your 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 job offering and get excited to do it. So it's more inbound. So I think what you're seeing is, is people's stated preference is to go, it's go distributed, but lots of people are still very local. And what do you think is going to happen in the future? Well, I think I'll tell you this much. You haven't been to the tech to office in months. I haven't seen anybody here. Well, you, you just don't want me. I come in, the door's <laughs> locked. It's a new padlock. You're like, Alex, get away. Uh, I think, the world's hybrid. I think there's advantages to being distributed. There's advantages to being in person. I think companies that try to don't have a strategy, be it a hub and spoke, a distributed strategy, or an in-office strategy are going to suffer. So you're going to see companies take a stake in what their culture and nature is. Um, I think what's going to be true, though, is this, it, they're going to build something with a culture with a certain you know, job model in mind, but all of them will be more flexible. Because one thing I've heard from founders is, yeah, we're still having people come into office, but you know, it's like two to three days a week. So we are centralized. We're hiring in Toronto, but let's have them come to the office. Or, hey, uh, we're distributed, but we tell people they don't have to be on. You know, we, we tell people that everything's done asynchronously, so you can work what hours you want. So if I'm in Vancouver and you're in Tokyo and the other person's in, in, in France, we're not trying to get at six in the morning for someone. So it's building a model and then adding flexibility around that. And I think the people are going to get crushed. And then what's not going to exist is someone that's like, yeah, we're partially distributed, partly centralized. And I don't know. And we, and we expect everyone to be on calls at noon Eastern on Monday. Well, we're not going to do noon Eastern on Monday, but on December 8th, we are back in person in Vancouver and we're going to be joined by Ian Wong, co-founder and CTO at Open Door and Serge Salager, the CEO at Visual Ping. And we're going to be talking about the journey to IPO, raising rounds back-to-back, -back, and building companies from the ground up. So you're listening to us now distributed, but we will see you in real life on December 8th in Vancouver. That's going to be an amazing event. Yeah, that is going to be one for the record books. And All right, if, I'm, hold on, yeah. if I'm in the yeah. audience, maybe ask Ian what he thinks about Zillow, but do not tell him I said ask that. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm curious. Well, we'll record it and we'll put it up on the YouTube's for those who can't join us live in Vancouver. Next, I want to talk about Web 
three. What is that? It's two more than web one. <laughs> uh, so web, web three is basically the name given to any, you know, site, app, DAO. Project. That's using, project yeah. that's using cryptos and NFTs and a DAO to, do, to accomplish what it wants. So it's basically blockchain slash crypto slash NFT slash DAO enabled business. So what what was web 2 and web 1? So we'll start with web 1. Web 1 was one way information sharing. You know, the most you know think of like Yahoo sports scores, ESPN, um you know, maybe uh you know, yeah. Google was web 1. Web 2, I guess your next question is user anything that was user generated content. So think about YouTube, Reddit, uh Facebook which basically said, hey, we don't have to be right only. We can be read and write, and you can participate. So one is web one is basically, we're sending you information. Web two is we're going to read and write. Web three is, hey, we're enabling blockchain. Another way to look at it, if you take, you you know, it's, it's web three enables ownership too. Got it. So if you are a web two company, as a lot of web, a lot of companies today are, how do you think about web three and the impact on your business? Is there a strategy so, to think about, about how you embrace what's next? So uh, I think is, do you think about it? I think everyone's thinking about it. Like I don't have a conversation where no, no someone hasn't gone down the you know web three rabbit hole, as they say, and said, oh, how should we engage in our business? The question is, should you be using web three in your model? And I think, what does web three provide? It provides ownership, enables community, and enables um, incentives for people to get involved. So I think if you're a traditional enterprise SaaS business, it's maybe use web3 for a blockchain to transfer money but there's really it's it's more of an infrastructure to improve maybe but like i'd say 98% of enterprise saas web2 companies don't need to have web3 i think if you're doing something in the creator economy if you're not using web3 or you know it's i, I highly wonder about your future and what what it looks like mm -hmm. so i think if you have something where you want to incentivize action you want to get people of you know, alignment by ownership or basically build a community, you have to be thinking about how to build Web3 into it. Maybe that's the very positive outlook on it. Oh, community and shared ownership. Um, is there a more skeptical take to all this Web3 stuff too? Speculation. So how does uh, that work? Ponzi scheme. Uh, Multi-level marketing. <laughs> Multi-level marketing. Like, you know, it, it's interesting. I was actually, do you know who Howard Marks is? You know, so famous investor that started a company called a fund called Oak Tree. Like this oh, Howard Marks. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yeah. And actually just listening to podcasts from this morning, he goes, I don't understand I never understood the value of Bitcoin or crypto. Um, th there's no cash flow because something to be worth money has to have cash flow. And fundamentally you look at look at a board board uh, board board ape from Board Ape Yacht Club uh, NFT. Yep. There's no hypothetical there's no cash flow inherently related to it. Maybe you can license it out and create a character out of it. But when it was minted, there was nothing there. There's some access, but so the, the skeptical view is people are just buying this and hoping someone else will buy it at more valuable, more expensive information than you. But what was interesting about what Howard said is he was challenged and said, what is inherent cash flow from a, a Pollock painting or from gold? Nothing. It's just the belief that people will find value in it and want to own it. So the cynical view is these are people are buying stuff, just hoping to dump it onto the next person for more money. Um, the benign view is that, hey, people like owning something, so that creates value. The other values, there is some intrinsic value that will be created. Like flip side, Board 8 Yacht Club as a company or whatever you want to call it, 
has had a billion dollars in transactions in six months and has generated 100 million revenue for the founders. So that's a lot wow. of cash flow, right? <laughs> um, so the way you look at it, I think, depends on the way you view the world and how well you know the technology. And certain aspects of Web3 right now are all three of those. There's wow. damn lot of speculation. There's some people that just want to own it. Like a Bitcoin maximalist says, fuck gold. Oh, pardon about the swearing because it's 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 digital gold, so it's better. And then there is utility in what Web three is being built. And I think the ultimate utility we don't know yet. It's like when mobile came out, and you know when people started building mobile apps in two thousand three, we didn't know it in two thousand seven. You had a better interface. You still didn't know, and then you had Uber also, which you couldn't do before mobile. And right. so you're starting to see stuff now you couldn't do without um, Web three. Uh, so if you want to keep up to date on all the Web three trends, another place where you can learn about the latest stories and Web3 is in our three times a week newsletters. Alex, what can the community expect in tomorrow's newsletter? So if you have one of those high quality startups, tomorrow we're gonna have a VC spotlight. So you might wanna ping that VC. You have my must reads from the week, as well as other tech, notable tech news and stories from the past week. So we might be talking about Hi Mama, for example. Ooh, we're, okay. We also, we're also profile our speakers from upcoming tech fan events. So you want to know a bit more about who Ian is or Serge is, you should be reading it. Um, and just make sure you subscribe because there's no reason not to. Okay. Well, uh, there you go. If you want to subscribe to keep up with the latest news, trends, and advice, you got to visit our website at techto.org, or you can subscribe on all our social media platforms. Just look for the link in our bio. All right. Now, next trend I think is hilarious. FinTech. What is this, 2013, Alex? I feel like this is trend was already passing when we started TechTO eight years ago. So why do you think that? Oh, it was hot then, and everyone said, oh, this is a fad, and uh, people talked about it passing by quickly, but it seems like it just hasn't gone away. Well, so I, I think where FinTech is, I think it's having, it, it just basically continues to evolve. Like the, like the thing about the North American economy is over the last 50 years, we've financialized everything, right? And so now you're seeing technology as it becomes more and more fundamental to the ecosystem is following that trend. So instead of having new financial products or financialization off, off the web or often, you know, not using technology, you're seeing more of it. So part of it is Web3, part of it's a financial thing. But if you look at like buy now, pay later. So Klarna, wow, we're done. But like I've now seen, like I've seen buy now, pay later for legal services, for rent. Um, I'm seeing people figure out new ways to purchase uh, different assets. You know, you can buy now a Gretzky card as a fractional owner, but I keep on seeing new people looking at real estate going, how can we make it more accessible using finance? Sure. So, what about the constitution? You can buy whatever you want. Hey, you know, you might pay lots of gas fees for that. And, and you know, so, <laughs> but like the point is, I think everyone thought FinTech, so just, we went to the FinTech is done. Now it's embedded FinTech. And I think embedded FinTech is like, hey, let's, you know, Shopify will, lend money to its merchants. I think that's still early stages and you're seeing more and more ways to embed fintech and you're also seeing mm -hmm. people create tools to help other people to embed fintech into their business. But mm -hmm. I also seeing you're seeing a lot more creativity of how can we apply a financial mindset and technology allows you to do because what's finance? It's basically information. So what is technology good at? Data and transferring information. Right? It's well, digital. It, it seems like when we started uh TechTO uh, 8 years ago uh, fintech was its own category. And much like they say in the long run, uh, every business sells ads. It feels like also in the long run, 
every business and every sector is becoming a fintech. Well, you know, I, I think I think that ads thing is no longer true because that's why what we have. It's all about privacy supposedly now. But everything, I, my view in every startup, either they're going to be have a messaging app or a fintech angle to it. Otherwise, they've they haven't got their ultimate ev evolution. They're like the first stage Pokemon, like the second one ad. You know, like, so yeah, so. The best ones are the ones that have messaging and fintech in it. Then, then, then you're like the super evolved rare Pokemon. Uh, yeah, that's sometimes what I think about you, Alex. You're like my mm. super evolved rare Pokemon. So, so, so Jason, when's uh, when's well simple adding messaging? Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, okay, next and last up for our five Canadian tech trends of this week: uh, COVID reopening. It has been a long time coming, especially here in Canada. Uh, what's happened? Where are we now? And where do you see it going? So we've talked a lot about over the last year about companies that benefit from COVID. Um, you know, gyms were closed. People can do stuff outside. So video services like StreamYard who we're using or um, Zoom benefited. Um, Peloton benefited. Um, those are the big names. And what you're seeing is two things happening. People are actually going back to some of their old routines. They're keeping some of their, their new ones. But people want to go outside. People want to, um, some people want to return to the office. They're eating out more. So a couple of companies that had extreme benefits from COVID have seen a downturn in their um, numbers or growth. So the streaming companies like Netflix, Disney Plus, and, you know, I guess Crave, I, I, get, I would guess Crave have all seen growth slow or go negative. The connected fitness apps, so like the people working at home, haven't seen necessarily negative, but seen much slower growth. What's interesting is some companies you thought would benefit are in this middle ground because we haven't opened as fast as we thought we would. So if you're servicing offices or, or retail or, you know, like, um, you know. What about travel? Live, live events. and oh, live events, sure. You know, like they've, the companies that have survived that, and there's a bunch of new ideas out there, are actually in a pretty strong position. But, you know, everyone thought last summer we are going to all go out and go back to office and get back to normal and Delta hit. And now there's this lingering uncertainty where lots of people in enterprises are slower to go back to where we thought they would. And so these companies are starting to see upticks, but they haven't seen upticks expected. So we're in an interesting position for 2022 where some high-flying companies have taken a step back. Like Zoom is definitely seeing growth slow down. Um, but there's some of the companies you expect the benefit haven't seen the benefits yet. Travel, I think, somewhere in the middle because lots of parts of this, yeah, um I think domestic travel's up back to normal levels. International travel isn't. And so the question for 2022 for like major parts of the economy and lots of startups is, do we return to, what's the new normal look like? How fast do we return to that new base? And is it going to be a quarter? Is it going to be another year? Is it going to be another two years? And that uncertainty means there's a lot of value to be captured if you get it right. Okay, well, we're curious to know what you think. You don't have to do it now, but maybe you put it in the newsletter. When do you think that's going to come back? And when's that value going to be uh, captured? Uh, Alex, thank you for your insights on these five hot trends happening today in the Canadian tech ecosystem. Wow, what an amazing week in Canadian tech. Incredible trends that we covered today. And if you haven't already, you got to like and subscribe to Tech TechTO wherever you're watching or listening right now. And then we'll see you on the inside.